Building on my salvation. So we've been looking at confidence in my salvation. We've looked at some proofs of our salvation, how we can have confidence in what the Lord has done. Again, so we can have an answer when people ask us. Uh, and, and, and so we have that realization beyond the fact of the new birth experience, uh, beyond that point that we know that, that we have some confidence in that. But we're going to take a, a few steps beyond that, looking at some things that we should be working on or working towards uh, in our life. Uh, because we know that we're not supposed to be stagnant, we know that we're not supposed to just stop, but we are to continue on. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now, the author of Hebrew challenges the church uh, to move on from some things. And this does not mean in the sense to leave them behind and forget about them in the, in the fact that they don't matter, but to settle some things and to be decided upon some things. Now, the Jewish church, uh, because you're, you're, you're essentially, uh, you have Judaism, you have Christianity, which have many similarities, but they are two different religions. And so you had this, these two different religions kind of coming together, and uh, we know Jesus and the Pharisees had a lot of debate and a lot of issues. In the same way, uh, the, the Gentiles and the Jews, those who uh, had just become Christians and those who were Jews and became Christians, there was a lot of conflict that went on. There was a lot of arguing, a lot of debate about what should be kept, what shouldn't be kept. We're supposed to do this, we're not supposed to do that. And so there was this constant uh, conversation about some of these things, this constant revisiting. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you know what? It's time to end, it's time to settle, it's time to be done with some things. Now some of these things are essentials that need settled. Okay, we don't let the, he mentions the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We know that we, uh, we need repentance in our life. We need repentance from dead works. We need repentance to make our way out of sin to salvation. And so it's not saying you should get rid of repentance. It's just saying you need to settle in your mind that repentance should be a part of your life. He says of laying on of hands. He's not saying that... Uh, you should no longer lay hands on people, but there's all kinds of debate, and there probably still is today. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you want, you know, there's all kinds of people that call themselves Christians nowadays. Uh, anyone ever heard of a guy called Todd Bentley? Well, if you get bored someday, not during church, you should YouTube this guy. This guy is unbelievable. Uh, well, <laughs> he does nut stuff. Uh, he doesn't lay hands on people. Like uh, there's, a, there's a video of him, a guy has stomach cancer that comes up there, and instead of laying on of hands, he drop kicks him in the stomach. <laughs> there, there's some strange people out there. Uh, he's physically assaulting people that come up there. So I guess there's still debate about how you should lay hands on people. There's, there's also this guy, I don't know his name, but he's doing baptisms. And <laughs> anyone ever seen the baptisms? That's phenomenal. It's like, it's not a baptistry like we have. It's like the trough thing. And the dude, he'll take people, the one, first guy, he like takes him down, back up, down, back up. 
Then the, the best one's the last one. The guy's standing there ready to be baptized, and the guy dives into the tank on top of him. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I think we should, uh, it, someone else should at least attempt that in our church for one baptism. He just dives on the guy and just, he buries him. It's like WWF or something, or whatever it is now. That was back, that back in the day when it was just Macho Man Randy Savage and the Hulk. But What are we in? Is this Hebrew Sunday school? What are we talking about here? <laughs> But he says there's some essential things that should be settled. And you know what? There's things in our life that need settled that we don't need to revisit anymore. Uh, the new birth is something that's settled. I don't need to revisit the essentiality of repentance, of baptism in Jesus' name, of the infilling of the Holy Ghost with speaking in tongues. It should be settled. There should be no more debate in my life. There should be no debate in my life about my faith in God, whether he's real. There should be no debate in my life about whether he's a healer, whether he's a deliverer. Even though I don't understand why and how he heals sometimes and who he heals sometimes and why someone's delivered and why someone isn't, I need to have it settled in my mind that he is what he said he is. And, and so some of these things are just arguments that were just going round and round. And, and the author challenges the church to set these things aside with the idea that not that they're not worth anything anymore, but they're solved, settled, and finished. And there's a reason why he wants them to do this. The reason given is so that they can go on, he says, let us go on unto perfection. It is impossible to go on to perfection when you're constantly revisiting the first things, if you will. Now, we are challenged in Revelation. John tells one of the churches that they have lost their first love. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about losing the first love. We're just talking about constantly revisiting the same things. And, and, and the reason that we do this is to achieve perfection. We mentioned it last week. It's that same word, teleos, that there's something that God is wanting to do inside of you. There's an end that he is working towards in your life. And he can't do that until you settle some things and quit messing around with some stuff. We can't finish that unless it's settled. It means to grow in knowledge, to go on into perfection. Now, we know that we cannot be perfect until we reach heaven, but we are striving for perfection. It means to grow in knowledge, to continue on in growth, and that once we are saved, there should be growth in our life. It's important for us to see that growth in our life. It's important for us to understand that there's a lot of things that can stunt our growth, according to this passage, even spiritual conversations that can stunt our growth. A constant revisiting of these foundational truths will stunt your growth. You can be having holy conversation, discussing baptism and the Holy Ghost and repentance and all these things, but that can stunt your growth because those things should be settled. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, one be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. How many of you want to be a babe? But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's interesting to note here that those who um, do not grow up, the analogy is given of milk and meat, those who continue to uh, partake of the milk, there's something that doesn't happen in their life. Their senses do not become exercised to discern between good and evil. Do you know what, at some point in your walk with God, you should be able to make some spiritual decisions by yourself. 
you should begin to be able to discern some things by yourself. There should come a point. Now God has put people in our lives. He has given some apostles and evangelists and prophets and teachers and pastors in our life to edify, to lift up. Those are all biblical. This is not to do away. And yet also the scripture says the spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And because you have the spirit, what need do you have of any man that they should teach you? Now it says there's teachers, but it also says if you just follow the spirit like you're supposed to, it will teach you what you need to know. At some point, I, I, I need to quit looking to other people for what I should and shouldn't do in my life, and I should allow the Spirit to do some things. Perhaps the reason I'm not getting the discernment I need is because I'm still uh, on the milk of the Word and not willing to partake of some of the meat of the Word. Peter does tell us that there is a time that I'm supposed to desire the sincere milk of the Word that he calls it. Yet there comes a time, there should come a time, when I'm not satisfied with just the milk of the Word. There comes a time when something more substantial should be eaten to satisfy us. Just like an infant, at some point they want some of that nasty cereal stuff, and then they want the pureed potatoes or sweet potatoes or whatever it is they eat. I don't know. But Paul tells the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, uh, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for as there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now this is something that I, I think we need to understand here too. The, the book of 1 Corinthians is written to the church at Corinth. And he says in verse 1, And I, brethren, so he calls them brothers, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. Now this is very important because we are building on our salvation. He says, babes in Christ. Uh, I don't know if you're uncomfortable with me saying babes in the altar, but I mean in the, in the pulpit. But is a babe in Christ saved? They wouldn't be a babe in Christ if they weren't. They would be a sinner. Is that, are we good with that? Okay. So to be a babe in Christ, that just means in our modern vernacular, a new Christian. Okay. So they, and we understand that to mean somebody who has gone through the new birth experience. They've repented, they've been baptized, and they've been filled with the Holy Ghost. But notice this. I can't speak unto you who are saved as spiritual, but I speak unto you saved people as unto a carnal person. Now that's kind of interesting. And he says, for you are carnal. Now get this, they are saved, yet carnal. That's kind of confusing to me. Because I, I, I know that the carnal mind is enmity, <coughs> excuse me, is enmity with God. And that I can't, the, the carnal mind and the spiritual mind don't work together. I, I understand all that stuff. But he is writing here to people who he says are saved and yet carnal. This is why we're talking about building on our salvation. Because this is not necessarily a salvation issue. This is a growth issue. I can be saved and yet not growing. Okay? Stick with me here for just a minute. So he challenges the church at Corinth the same way that we are challenged by the verses in Hebrew. And that they are, are saved 
and yet still thinking carnally, still thinking immaturely. And in and, and both of these, we're told simply this, you need to grow up. He doesn't tell them be saved, he tells them grow up. So this is why we're building on last week. We have confidence in our salvation, and you can feel like you're saved, you're just not where you should be in Jesus Christ. You need to mature. Okay? So I want you to understand that, that we are not now talking about issues of salvation. These are written to the church, not sinners. So the work of salvation is complete in their lives, yet they are challenged to move beyond the point of salvation. Their salvation is not questioned, their growth is. So what we're going to do is to look at some areas. We've, we've got confidence in our salvation. Now let's look at some areas that we need to grow in. It is important to know that if I don't continue to grow in Christ, it will become more difficult for me to continue to keep my salvation. Because I should be getting closer to Him. I should be getting nearer to Him. I should be becoming more like Him, which makes it easier to serve Him the longer I serve Him. And if I constantly have a carnal mind, it's going to be hard to refuse my carnal mind every day. The first thing that we're going to look at, the first area here uh, this week, is an area that I need to grow in. It's found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, a verse that I'm sure many people know. And it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. First thing is, is I must have my mind transformed. Now this is important to understand again. When I am saved, my mind is not necessarily transformed. Okay? It's important for us to understand, this is a work that happens after salvation. And when we say salvation, a new birth experience. This is not speaking of conversion, not the new birth experience. This is a transformation that must take place after I've received the Holy Ghost, okay? And it's the transformation of my mind. It says that there must be an inward change in my mind, in my thought process, that needs changed. And there's a reason that it needs changed. So I, I, I come to an altar, I repent, I'm baptized, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, and I get up from the altar, and you know what? A lot of my thinking is still the same way. I feel real good, uh, as Cooper said last Sunday, he felt like he had snow in his heart. So you feel something, you feel something's different, and yet your mind, there's a process that your mind must now begin to be transformed. Okay? Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three things. And these three things are things that we push off on the Spirit many times. Okay? Uh, that, that, I'm just going to say, that is... Uh, we've, we've, uh, we've got lazy Christianity. We want the Spirit to do it all. And that would be really nice. be really nice. If the Spirit would just do everything for me. But these are things that we have to work on ourselves as well in combination with the Spirit. Okay? There's a reason that my mindset needs to be changed. If my mindset is not changed, or it tells me if my mind is changed and renewed, then I can do something. I can prove or test or determine what God's will is in and for my life. Now, how many of you would like to know God's will for your life if you don't know it? Paul tells us here when he writes to the Romans that if I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, then there is a result of that. I'm able to prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. It says, do not be conformed, which means associate patterns similar to or following or accepting or going along with. Now, I want you to understand this as well. Like we just mentioned before, 
in the passages in Hebrews. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Who's he writing to? The church. And he's telling them, the church, don't be like the world, but be transformed. And here's how you're transformed. You know what this tells me? That it's possible to be in the church and be conformed to the world. It's possible to do that. So it's possible for people, it's possible for the church to be conformed to the world and still be a church. Okay, because this doesn't deal with salvation, this deals with maturity and growth. He tells them to not be conformed, giving us the idea that some people are conformed to the world. Or at least there's the possibility that you can be conformed to the world and you can be conformed to the world and have the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to make clear that we're not talking about having rampant sin in your life. Okay, this does not mean that you can go out and do whatever sin that you would like to do. Yet it's talking about the way our mind processes information. Okay, you can be a Holy Ghost filled person and still have the same mindsets and thought processes as the world. It's very possible. And I would venture to say that we have more of it than what we realize. And here's the deal. We think we have the Holy Ghost. We wonder, well, why, why can't I find God's will? I pray and I can't find God's will. He's challenging us that it's not just about having the Spirit of God in you, but it's allowing your mind to be renewed so that your thought processes change so that you can determine what is good and perfect and acceptable in the will of God. It's possible to have the Holy Ghost and still not know the mind of God. Okay? Now, now this is important to me personally for a few reasons. Uh, I'm cynical. I tend towards cynicism. <laughs> not, as Brother Burner, I'm not negative. I'm, I'm a realist. <laughs> uh, and honestly, judgmental. I can be judgmental. Don't judge me for that. Okay, in my mind, I usually don't speak it out, but in my mind, thinking, well, all kinds of stuff. The only thing that clears my mind and empties it is the donut den now. But this, this, this differentiation between the maturity and salvation. Now, if a person is saved, they should be attempting to mature. But because they are immature does not mean they're not saved. That's important for me, because I see a person who's an immature Christian, and you know what I think? I don't even know if that person's saved. How can they act like that? How can they do that? And then it allows me to not treat them like a brother, because I don't even know if they're saved anyway. See, it's good for me to think of them as saved still, because they are. I'm saying me personally. Okay, that's important for that differentiation. They not, may not be where they need to be, but that doesn't give me an excuse to treat them like they're not a brother. Okay? The church at Laodicea is a perfect example. It was a candlestick. It was something that was shining light towards Jesus Christ. It was a church. It was one of the seven churches that God decided to speak to. So it was not some insignificant little group of people that were unimportant. It was an extremely important church. And yet we're told that God is ready to spew them out of his mouth because they're neither hot nor cold. If you read in scripture, it's some of the things that those churches were going through that, that Paul uh, uh, talked to him about. It's unbelievable. 
So we see that he, he's writing to the church in 1 Corinthians and, and their minds have not been transformed. So they can't grow beyond the initial salvation experience. Yes, there's joy from salvation, but they, they are not walking and maturing in Jesus Christ. Make no mistake that they are a part of the church, yet there's a constant struggle to stay saved because there's no maturity there. The question has now moved on. It should be moved on from my life to am I saved? Because I should have confidence in my salvation too. Am I growing? Am I growing in Jesus Christ? I need to set aside at some point of questioning whether his blood was enough to cover me. Whether it's enough to continue to cover me. Whether I'm saved. Whether I can stand before him on judgment day with confidence. And it should move to the fact of am I becoming more like him? There will be people in heaven that are immature Christians. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it, it, it's, it's a passage that still just, it drives me nuts because I, I, I don't want to be it and I can't figure everything out about it. But it says that on judgment day, there's going to be people that their works are going to go through the fire. And some will come out as gold, uh, silver, and precious stones, and some will be burned up because it's wood, hay, and stubble. And all of those people make it to heaven. Now, in other parts, there's where the sheep and the goats are separated. No, this is all these people make it to heaven, but they are in heaven, and everything they've done was burned up because it was worthless. Now, that bothers me because I don't want to get to heaven and look back and, and see that my entire life that I lived for the Lord was worthless. But it does tell me that there's people that I may wonder whether they're saved or not because they're building with wood, hay, and stubble, and they're in heaven. I'm just glad I don't have to make that decision, aren't you? I'm just glad Todd's here with a nice suit on. That's all I care about. It's going to keep going. We find ways in Scripture, though, that our minds should be transformed. Paul tells the Ephesians, 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 that salvation guides my thoughts. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've just got three things here we're going to look at. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's important for me to understand that salvation, for my mind to be transformed, these are things that I need to do. Salvation should guide my thoughts. Okay, My salvation should affect how I think. Every thought and decision I make should run through the filter of my salvation. Ask myself the question, is this how a saved person should think? Is this how a saved per person should act? And what that means is when I begin to think of what was involved in my salvation, that should filter through my mind and affect my decisions and come out the other side the same way. So, when I, when I get in a situation, I need to think, you know what? My salvation required a lot of grace on my part. So when I'm thinking about this person, this situation, you know what needs to, all my thoughts need to filter through? The grace I received. And you know, that's, I, already, I already told you sometimes in my head, I'm not thinking very nice things. I need my mind renewed, and my salvation needs to remind me of what God did for me. We've got the story, the parable that's given of the, of the servant who was forgiven, the, we'll just put numbers in there, the million dollars. The king forgives him, then he walks out, and Andy owes him ten bucks, and he throws him in prison for it. Makes the king pretty upset. Because he did not filter his decisions through what saved him. You know what, when I'm not sure if I should love a person, if it's my neighbor, my brother, whoever it may be, I need to let salvation be my filter. 
because he loved me so much he laid down his life for me. That filters through, well, I don't know if they deserve it. They're just going to abuse whatever I do. They're just going to take that money and blow it on whatever. And I should let love filter my decisions through to that person. The helmet of salvation. Salvation should affect how I think about situations and about people. It should make me more graceful in my attitude towards others. It should challenge me because it reminds me when I, when I think about a situation I'm in or about a person, it reminds me of my salvation of a free gift that was given to me without any strings attached, without any qualifications. He said, whosoever will let him come and receive of this gift freely, so freely as I have received... This person over here who does not deserve what I have to give, salvation affects my mind and so freely I give just as I was freely given to. Do you see how salvation should affect my mind? Now again, this, this is maturity. This is maturity. This is meat where I allow my mind to be transformed. I need to let the very things that I experience in salvation, I experience mercy. There's so much that I deserve in my life that God didn't send my way. You know what? And there's a lot of times I can give someone mercy. My mind doesn't want to. Oh, here we go. Because they deserve it. We're real concerned about justice, right? We like justice. We want justice to be done. In Western civilization, we pride ourselves on, on just, uh, you know, the, the courts and being just and all, and, and I, that's true. But you know what? Justice didn't come my way. It didn't come your way either because you're still here today. His mercy came my way and mercy always triumphs. So you know what? I may be in a situation where I am perfectly justified in how I may respond and how I may act to a person and they're just getting karma or whatever you want to call it in their life. But mercy, the helmet of salvation reminds me of the mercy that I received in my life and I give them something they don't deserve. I hold back from that person. It needs to affect my mind. Paul tells Something else, Paul tells the Philippian church that my mind can be transformed because of what I dwell on in my mind. What I dwell on affects my mind. He tells the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Have you tried finding those things in today's world? It's pretty hard to find that stuff anymore. Our world thrives on cynicism. It thrives on scandal. The news survives from scandal to scandal. It survives on building people up and then tearing them down. That makes for great news. We get an underdog story. As soon as they become famous, we like to tear them down. That's just how the world operates. We, our world thrives on fear-mongering. <laughs> I mean, just, just the weather channel does. Let's just start with the weather channel. We are currently under a freeze warning right now. I mean, I know it's chilly outside, but we've been under a freeze warning since 6 o'clock on Friday. I mean, if there's going to be a strong gust of wind, they name it. <laughs> Everything. We, 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 you know, we, now let's get into conspiracies. It's all because Walmart wants you to show up at the store and buy bread. No, I'm joking. <laughs> But isn't that the way it is? You, you, you know, there's, there's a slight chance and you go to the store 
a few hours before, and it's like chaos. Everyone, I mean, all you can have is omelets and French toast with those three things. Which is pretty good, but... We, we're in a world that, that, that it thrives on deceit. Deceit is everywhere. I mean, it is everywhere. The, the, the fear-mongering, the deceit, the scandals are tearing down. I mean, who knows today if it's going to be Trump and the Russians or the Democrats and the Russians? Who knows? Do the Russians really care that much about us? I don't know. Maybe they do. They listening? Feels like the 50s. Call me, not that I know what the 50s felt like, but anyway. But that's what our world thrives on. And Paul tells us whatsoever things are true and honest, right there, we've lost it. Whatsoever things are just and pure. How do we do this? Scripture tells me to be in the world, but not of it. That means that all these things that, I'm, that the world is doing, all this cynicism and scandal and fear-mongering and deceit, that's stuff, I'm in the world, but I'm not supposed to be a part of that. My mind is not supposed to be a part of that. My thought processes should not include all those things. I should not be living in fear as a child of God. I should not have deceit in my life. I should not be engrossed with the scandals of this world. And let me just say, this is, this is important. Why our, this is why our testimonies are so important. Because in a world where it's hard to find things that are true and honest and of good report, I can count on the testimonies of God because those things are true and of good report. That's why I need to get in the Word because there's great testimonies that are found in the Word of God. There's things that I can look to and I can get uh, my strength from those things. I can think about those things. And it's important for, for you to understand why your testimony is so important. If God's brought you through, I know sometimes we like to be reserved and we don't like people to know what's going on. But let me just say you need to share your testimony it doesn't have to be from the pulpit but you need to share it with somebody if God's brought you through because that person may be struggling to find anything pure and honest in their life to think about and your testimony is what they can dwell on don't keep what God is doing to yourself again it doesn't you don't you don't have to come up here and tell it but you need to share it with somebody and there's people that I know that are here today, and, and God has brought you through so much and done so much in your life, and you feel like you've got nothing to offer. Let me just tell you what you can do. Share your testimony. Allow the rest of us to think on something good and pure in the middle of, a, of our world that may just be awful. Your testimony may be what brings somebody through. Because it helps my mind to dwell on something that is good and pure and virtuous. My mind has to dwell on good things. So I need to let salvation be my filter. I need to find testimonies in good and pure things to allow my mind to dwell on, the Word of God to dwell on. Now it's important for us to understand that we can get all caught up in the news, we can get all caught up in stuff that's going on, we can stay at home because of the freeze warning and be scared to death and be saved. We're just not growing and maturing in Jesus Christ. Paul challenges the Corinthian church with another aspect of the renewed mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There's no division in the mind of Christ. Unity of our mind. Unity of our mind. There's no division in the mind of Christ, and He is the head of the church. It's, this is important to realize that there should be a unity of purpose, 
a unity of focus within the church of God. There should be a unity, especially if we say Jesus Christ is the head of the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? Is there division in Christ? No. People are saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos, and I was baptized by Paul, and I was baptized. And, and, and Paul says, is Christ divided? No, you were all baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter who baptized you. There's no division. There, there, there are not multiple visions in the church of God, multiple plans and opinions within the mind of God. I need to realize that if there's division then at least one person in that division and maybe everybody in that division is not thinking the same thing as God because there's no division in the mind of God. The best thing to do is not to mediate out between us but to go to the altar and figure out the mind of Christ to transform my mind by renewing it by getting His mind. Philippians 3.15 says, Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. He means if you're striving for perfection... This is how your mind needs to operate. If anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. It says if your mind is thinking different, then you need to pray and God will reveal his mind unto you. Paul tells the Philippian church this very thing. If your mind isn't right, ask God and he'll reveal it to you. The previous verses give us an idea of what thus minded be. It says, be thus minded, uh, and refers to the verses before, and it says this, not only though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." My mindset, be thus minded. This is my mindset that it should be. It should be one of following. It should be one of apprehending, seeking after the things of God, of being apprehended, allowing God to grab hold of me, of forgetting my past, the way I used to be, the way I used to operate, and pressing ahead towards the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you what it would look like in this church, in this community, if there, this was the mind we had, a single mind, a focused mind, a kingdom mindset, a mindset that simply said, this one thing I do. We talked last week about having a single eye and what that meant, uncomplicated, simple and pure. And we get double-minded too much, we get concerned about other things. What would it look like if I just had a single mind? We place a lot of weight on things that don't deserve as much weight as we give them. Now, I believe, I believe in doing good and, and being a good employee and doing all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's amazing when, when crisis hits or when things hit, what falls by the wayside. I remember there was one time, uh, this was when Isaac was real little. Uh, he was, it was for about three days straight, about every... Oh, minute or so, he would have to go to the bathroom. 24 hours a day. It was awful. I mean, all night long. Like, I got to go to the bathroom. He'd get up and go to the bathroom, come back in, you'd be, I got to go to the bathroom. I mean, for almost three days. It was ridiculous. That's it. No, there's more to the story. <laughs> so we finally, finally uh, took him to the doctor. After three weeks of this going on, no, after a few days. And uh, we took him and they, they, they wanted to send him over to Children's Hospital. So a man had taken him to the, 
to the doctor, and uh, they said they wanted to send him over to Children's Hospital. So I was at work. I was working at, at a restaurant in town, and I was supposed to close that night, and everyone else was leaving. I was supposed to do inventory. I was supposed to be there until 10 that night. And you know what? My son was going to Children's Hospital. You know what I told the manager before he left, the boss? I said, you know what? I'm leaving. Well, you're closing tonight. You got... I said, I'm leaving. My kid's going to Children's Hospital. I don't know what's wrong with them. They said it could be this, this, or this. I'm leaving. Now, do I believe in being a good employee? But all of a sudden, my mind that was like in 60 different directions, all of a sudden, my mind got single. Your mind can get single when it wants to. Now, I know it's difficult to keep it single because other things do come in. You can't just always, boss, I'm leaving early today because I'm going to go pray. I know that doesn't really work. But your mind can get single. We allow it to get so scattered out. Now we got over there, and it was just a real bad case of constipation. My mind got single for that. We'll leave it there. That was an interesting day. But you know what? Real quick. You know what? When crisis hits, when trouble hits, all of a sudden your mind gets single. That's the kind of focus he's talking about. This one thing I do. You know what I was going to do that day? I was leaving work and going to Children's Hospital. I mean, it was to the point, my kid was going, you know what, if you need to fire me, I guess that's fine. This place will burn down without me. And if it doesn't, I'll come back and burn it my snow. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Something happens with your kids or something's going on, and you wouldn't normally ever think of, and all of a sudden, everything stops. What would happen if we just took a small part of that focus that we get when crisis hits and did that with the kingdom? This one thing I do, I'm seeking after him. I'm getting my mind transformed. I'm following after him. Finally, we're given the example of what the mind of Christ actually entailed. So my mind needs transformed. I don't need to be conformed to this world. I need to be thinking different. I need to allow my thought processes to change. I need to watch what I dwell on. I need to put good stuff in me. I need to get my mind single and focused. And we're given this example in Philippians chapter 2 of what the mind of Christ actually entailed. Because that's what I'm seeking for. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels and mercy... I didn't realize I was going to read that right after I told the constipation story. <laughs> Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He says, have the same mind, the same love, one accord. Don't do things in strife or for glory. And we could get off on our motives for another 90 weeks about why we do stuff. Is it really all for the glory of God? He says to be humble, esteeming each other, not looking to our own things. That means not getting so tied up with our own stuff. And this is important because we live increasingly in a segregated and hands-off world, especially as Christianity is being viewed. Things are not my issue. That's not really any of my business. That's their decision. That's their choice. That's their place. Now, I know I'm not saying we need to get all up in everyone's business because the Bible has stuff to say about that too. 
but I don't just need to concern myself with my things. Anyway, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Very important for us to see one key word. It's in verse 5. It says, let. Let. This is something that I must do. Let this mind be in you. It doesn't say go to the altar and God will implant this mind in you. It says you must let. The Spirit will renew my mind. The Word will renew my mind, but I must let it. Now here's the deal. We like the word renew because that sounds spiritual. What it really means is change. Oh, how many of you like to change your mind? How many of you would rather prefer to say something and then dig in and not back up? That's, that's far better and it always works out way better in the end when you dig in. But he says, let, let your mind be changed. I have to direct my mind towards it. It is not a work of the Spirit alone. And we find here the things that were in Jesus' mind, how he operated. Here's the mindset of Christ. He was willing to take on flesh and all that it entails. He was willing to take on pain and heartache and things that he didn't have to. He was willing to make himself of no reputation. Very interesting words here again. He made himself of no reputation. It wasn't that others, he made himself of no reputation. Now he didn't do it by going around saying, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. It's not what he did, but he made himself of no reputation. You know how he did that? He went to places where nobody thought he should go and talked with people that no one thought he should talk to. He lost his reputation because of who he associated with. He became a servant. See, that's the thing that we don't really like, is the, the more I live for God, the closer I become to Him, the more of a servant I should become. I, I like the stuff where it says, I become a friend of God. I do all this great stuff. That's, and that's true. But I become a servant. The closer I get to him, the lower I get. He humbled himself, it says. He was obedient even to the death of the cross. He was willing to obey even the death of the cross. And it emphasizes that. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I'm willing to obey God to a point. But he obeyed God even to the death of the cross. He didn't have a mindset of vengeance. He didn't have a mindset of anger, of bitterness, of hurt, of pain, of victimization, of pride. He could have had all of those because he would have been justified in a lot of those attitudes. But he didn't even have the attitude of justice in his life. He didn't have a mindset of personal equality, personal fairness, and these are all relevant to today's society. He didn't have a mindset of deserving respect. Respect no longer needs earned. 
You just have to be born. He did not have a mindset of rights. You know what? Rights are freedoms and our rights, are, that's going to become more and more of an issue as, as we go on. He didn't have a mindset of rights. This was his attitude. You think of that guy who could have done anything and had, was justified in anything he would have done standing before Pilate. You know what he did? Nothing. He didn't say a word. I don't know about you, but I, I would have said something. I mean, I just said, okay, Lord, in my mind, okay. I prayed in the garden and there was drops of blood bleeding from me and everything, and I said, your will. And I'm still going to go die on the cross. And I'd be thinking because that's noble and that's worthy, then everyone would have to worship me. No. Yeah, I probably would. But I would have at least said something, I think. I may have gone through with it in the end, but I probably at least... I mean, if it was me, I would have probably had to physically bite my tongue. They're saying all this stuff about me. And he didn't say anything. That was his mindset. He was led as a lamb before his shears is dumb. Now, if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with yourself in the way that we typically think, we know it was dumb and that he didn't say a word, but a lot of us, if we would think about it honestly and not put Jesus' name there and put someone else, we would just think he was dumb. You didn't say anything? You didn't even defend yourself? Nope. Made himself of no re- That was his mindset. And then Paul lays down this challenge to you and I in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, you know it's going to be rough when he calls you beloved instead of brethren or something. You know this is going to hurt. As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, re- now just real quick before I read that, he says, this is, this is the mind of Christ. He brought himself out of the divine and made himself flesh. That was, that was, he made himself of no reputation. He took on him the form of the servant, was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, thinking of that and that being the mindset of Christ, now, now, here, here's where he does it. He doesn't tell you to do that. He doesn't tell you that's what you need to do. He says, now that you know that's how Christ act, why don't you go work out your own salvation? He doesn't tell you that's how you need to act. He says, I want you to remember all that he was, all that you are. You figure out what you need to do. I'm not going to tell you. Because it's not about being told. It's about my mind being transformed. You see, repent, be baptized, and fill with the Holy Ghost is a command that I must obey. There is no... I can't get around it. Okay? I can get around my mind being transformed, though. I don't have to mature. I can be a babe in Christ the whole, my whole life. But he challenges us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can't figure out your own plan of salvation, but you can figure out your maturity. This means now that you have been set free from the bondage and power of sin, here is your example of how to live a saved life. Now based on that example, based on the conviction that I feel when I look at his life, you figure out what you need to do in your life to conform to it. You figure it out. You let your mind think about it. This is not about a list of rules and regulations here. This is not about what must I do to be saved. The rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus, Jesus told him what he had to do to be saved. And then he said, what do I need to do to be perfect? He said, now sell all your stuff. 
That guy, was, that guy walked away sad and saved. Because he'd, he'd already fulfilled all the laws. What must I do? We've done all that. Now figure it out on your own. So the question I have for you today is not whether you have been transformed, because we go all the way back to Romans chapter 12. It's not whether you have been transformed, because I, I would pray that at some point your mind has been transformed, that you don't think exactly like the world does anymore. It's not my question. My question is not, are you different than before you knew God? My question for you is, when was the last time your mind was transformed? When was the last time that God changed the way you thought? You see, because I think different than I used to, but when was the last time, because I'm supposed to, I'm not like Jesus, you don't have to raise your hand if you agree with that. I'm not like Jesus, and I don't think like him all the time. And I realize that, but knowing that, Knowing that, when was the last time I actually let him change my mind about my opinions, how I think about some people, how I operate, how some of my thought processes that I have been raised and this is how I am and this is who I am? I know he did it from sin to salvation. But when was the last time that he transformed your mind? It's a continual work in my life. Because I may have been transformed and so now I'm a teenager. Well, you know what? It's another... (laughs) It's another transformation from teenager to adulthood. And it's another transformation from being married and a young adult to having kids. And it's another one to having grown up. It, there's continual transformations in life. In the same way, my mind should continually be being transformed. So when was the last time God changed your mind? I want us to stand this morning. And I want us to pray. You know what? The last time that God rocked my world... When was the last time that I was confronted by something and I had to change the way I thought about things? And if it's been a long time or I can't think about it, perhaps your prayer today would simply be, Lord, I ask you to show me where my mind needs transformed. Let's pray together. Lord.